Today I'm interviewing Mike Rust. He's an EMT for Mercy Flights over in Southern Oregon. And I wanted to check in with him and see how he's doing given everything that's going on um, with the coronavirus. Hey, how's there it going? Go. Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks for meeting with me virtually. Of course, of course. I know you're a busy guy. And oh no, it's all good. Your day, your, one of your few days off, so I really appreciate yes. the time. <laughs> What is an EMT? Like, what, what does that mean? Sure. So um, the, it's a little bit different nationally, but overall, you kind of have EMTs and you have paramedics. Mm -hmm. um, so EMT is an emergency medical technician. Um, and it used to be different levels of EMT, but they kind of changed it to where you have an EMT, what's called an EMT intermediate and a paramedic. Um, so where I work, uh, we have all what are called ALS ambulances, advanced life support ambulances. Um, down where you are, you'll have ALS and BLS ambulances. Um, so what that means is some of your ambulances will have just EMTs on them, and some of your ambulances will have at least one paramedic on them. It's, it all has to do with the level of care that we can provide. So right now I'm an EMT, um, I'm in paramedic school to become a paramedic, which I should be by the end of this summer. Um, but right now I'm working as an EMT. So um, since I'm working on an ALS ambulance, I know a lot of abbreviations. Yeah, I'm like, um, I'm yes. trying to follow. <laughs> but since, I'm, since I work for an advanced life support ambulance, an ALS ambulance, my main job is to kind of um, like assist the paramedic, I guess would be the way of saying it. Honestly, the most important job that an EMT has is driving the ambulance. And a lot of EMTs will get really, like if you call them ambulance drivers, oh, they'll get really all worked up. I don't mind it at all because I, I know how important it is. Yeah. But that is part of our job is driving the ambulance. Um, but when we're on a call, we're assisting the paramedic um, with different duties that they may, might be doing. Um, paramedics are allowed to do a lot more than the EMT. So, you know, paramedics can start IVs, um, they can give lots of drugs, um, they can perform some skills like intubating a patient, you know, where we put a tube down the throat and breathe with the patient. Um, so paramedics have a, a wide scope that they're allowed to do, and EMTs have a very small scope that they're allowed to do. So there's a lot more schooling involved with becoming a paramedic than an EMT. So I went through paramedic school, I mean, excuse me, I went through EMT school, became an EMT, been working for about a year doing that, and I'm almost through uh, paramedic school, which is like the equivalent of like an associate's degree. So it's like a two-year program to become a paramedic. Um, okay. In other countries, it's like a bachelor's degree. Um, but in America, it's like a two-year two-year program. Got it. And so I know, I know pre-coronavirus, you had a lot on your plate. So your dad of two little ones, you're an EMT, yeah. and you're in school to be a paramedic. Um, I don't know when you found time to sleep, honestly, but yeah. <laughs> I think it was a few hours yeah. here and there. Um, yeah. But from what I'm, what I'm understanding is as an EMT, the main role is A, to get to those that need help. So getting the mm -hmm. ambulance there safely and efficiently, right? And additionally, mm -hmm. assisting the paramedic. But yes. if you were in school to be a paramedic, then you could do more hands-on and actually help patients who are going through various ailments, right? So where, where is the schooling now? Because I know a lot of things have shut down. Is it, are you still in school while working and helping people or what is, what is your schedule like? 
Yeah, so I, I really think that's a really an interesting topic that, that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about is um, we had spring break last week and then this week is like our, they just added on another week of spring break just because they didn't know what to do with everything. Sure. Um, but then we're supposed to start school in another week. I'm, I'm sorry, this week's our first week of spring break. Then we have our second bonus week of spring break. Then we're supposed to start online classes. Um, but one thing that's involved is with your paramedic program, you have your lecture hours where you go and you learn all of you know, the normal book things that you would learn about anything. But then we also have lab hours and clinical hours. Um, lab hours are where we meet in person um, with our class and with our instructors and we learn how to do the skills involved um, with uh, do, doing you know, the procedures that involve being a paramedic. Mm -hmm. um, if we're, if we don't have a chance to do that, we can't move on in the program. And right now we're at a point where we can't meet in person to do those things. Mm. So there's some talk about us maybe not being able to finish the program on time. Now, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is our clinical hours. And that's where we actually go into um, emergency departments, operating rooms, um, intensive care units, and we work normal shifts there, but as a chance to practice our paramedic skills. So even though I'm an EMT, I go into clinicals in the emergency department, and I start IVs, and I get people drugs, and I intubate people, and I do all that stuff, but under the guidance of a nurse or a, a physician in the ED. That is another aspect that right now, you know, the most dangerous place to be is in an emergency department, and right they're really pushing back against us wanting to go in and be in that experience. But the part that's kind of difficult to balance is if we were to do this and we were to say, okay, we're going to put the safety of students in front of everything else, which seems like it makes sense and not have anyone become a paramedic this year. Well, what's the ripple effect that has going forward? Mm -hmm. You've just said, okay, there's no more paramedics that are going to come out this school year, that's gonna be huge because there's obviously paramedics leaving. There's always need for more paramedics. Right. But for one whole school year, we don't produce any paramedics. That could be really detrimental to our healthcare system that's already going to be really taxed. Because you know, if, if for, you know, let's say something happens and uh, an ambulance agency gets you know, hit with COVID and they have to quarantine half their staff and we're not producing more paramedics, how are we going to fill that gap? So right. I think it's a really interesting topic that I don't know a lot of people are, are thinking about. Right. Well, of course you are because you're in the midst of well, it. Yeah. <laughs> you, see, you see the need for it. I mean, can you, can you speak a little bit to what, what you're encountering right now dealing with COVID in general? Because you are in the ambulance. You are helping mm -hmm. paramedics right this moment. So um, can you just share a little bit about what you're experiencing? Yeah, so, you know, up where, where we live, it's not like in LA, where it's way, you know, way, way more people. Right. Um, but there's different logistics that go along with that. You know, down, Medford is the biggest city here, and it's about the same size as Santa Monica population-wise, but it's spread out over a much larger area. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, compared to LA County, it's like a drop in the bucket. You know, there's maybe 200,000 people that live in our whole county compared to 8 or 10 million that live in LA County. Mm -hmm. but with that being said, we are still seeing the effects of this. And we're seeing it not necessarily in all of these positive COVID patients, 
but in the way that we have to treat these patients, whether they have COVID or not. So we're having to use a lot more PPE. We're having to be a lot more cautious. Wait, and, PPE, what is that? You have to I'm use sorry, that. I'm sorry, pr pr protective personal equipment. So like okay. gloves, glasses, okay. gowns, all that stuff, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're treating every patient that could even possibly be like that, like they are a COVID patient. So it kind of it amps the stress up a little bit. Um, one thing that would be different um, is in our area, um, the fire departments don't transport patients. So like down in Santa Monica, oh, yeah. like uh, Santa Monica Fire, they transport the, you know, a firefighter is going to show up. He's going to be a firefighter EMT or firefighter paramedic. Um, he's going to check you out. And then if you need to go to the hospital, they're going to transport you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, here, our fire departments are usually the first ones on scene and they're paramedics and they're EMTs, but they don't transport. Um, they just kind of initially treat. And then the company I work for, we show up and we take over care and then we transport the patient to the mm -hmm. hospital. So something that we're seeing now is every respiratory patient. So no matter what it is, if there's some type of respiratory issue going on, every patient with a fever, um, anything where there could be any possibility that this patient could have been suffering from COVID, the fire department doesn't go on now. They stage away from it and it's us. So it's me and my paramedic partner are the only people going into that scene. And wow. yeah, so that's a little different dynamic than what you guys have down south because the, the fire department are the ones doing it. But we we're going in there and it's just the two of us. So if we get in and then, yeah, it ends up being, you know, a, a cardiac arrest and we need a lot of hands working on this patient. We can call and the fire department can come in, but then it's delayed and then they have to put on their protective personal equipment. It takes that much longer. It's, it's stressful. So it's really stressful on us knowing we kind of don't have that safety net that we had before. And mm -hmm. it's just being a lot more cautious and going into nursing homes and hearing this person has a fever or they've just been sick recently and it's, it's in your head and the way that you're approaching it. You're approaching every patient differently and mm -hmm. it's definitely amped up the, the stress level, I would say. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you have to protect yourself and just assume that everyone has this super contagious. Exactly. Um, are, what would you define it as, CV? Is like, I mean, a disease? Like what, what a virus? Yeah. Like, I mean... Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a respiratory you know based virus, um, and you know what what it does it does have similar findings to the flu, but it's just a lot. Um, you know, when we think of flu, we think a lot of people bought toilet paper because they're thinking of stomach flu and all of that. It's not like that at all. You know, that's that's. Not I wondered about on. that. I was like, why is it going for? <laughs> but okay. I, I mean, my best guess, my best guess is that they're thinking stomach flu, or maybe they're just thinking we're going to be in our house for so long and we need toilet paper. I don't know either. We've yeah. spent a lot of time talking about trying to figure that out. But, you know, it's not like a stomach flu, you know, where we all know what happens with that. Or it's more like, you know, a, a respiratory flu or like a respiratory infection, but it turns into something that we don't really know what's going to happen long term. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're seeing it now and we're trying to get ahead of it now and we're doing testing, but, um, you know, you've heard a lot of things about, oh, the testing should be ramped up. There's been some talk about some people high up in our government saying we should be giving certain drugs that they don't really know what they're talking about. And that's really, really dangerous. And um, it's going to take a long time to really know what we need to do 
and what the you know long-term effect of this is going to be mm-hmm. but for now all we can do is kind of go back to what our training is is treat it like it's a respiratory infectious disease and take all the cautions that we can right and are you i've i've heard this from many healthcare professionals how are you doing on actual like equipment in terms of protective gear are yeah, you guys so, so we're, I think we're doing okay. Like, so N95 ma- uh, respirators, they're the mask that you see. It's, you know, what it, it, it helps protect you from other people. So when you have a surgical mask, you got to think when someone's wearing a surgical mask, that's pretty much just r- protecting other people from them. It's kind of keeping everything in. But we wear that N95 respirator. We're hoping to keep things out. So we do have a lot of those. Um, but the thing is, is it's turning into like every patient we're starting to use one on. So now they're telling us like, and this is completely okay, but they're telling us, hey, if you go on a patient and you're wearing one and it ends up where it's not like a respiratory thing, you got to wear that mask again. And that, that, that might sound kind of crazy, but as long as it's not a respiratory thing, that works. But you know, you put the mask on so many times, it gets worn out, it breaks. You're going through a lot of masks. And we definitely have a shortage, and that's you know a big topic you know in in uh, in the media and stuff about not having enough of these masks and where they're coming from. Um, that's been an issue. Gowns has been an issue. Uh, a lot of times when we go on calls pre-COVID, um, gowning up is not something we did very often. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be more of like if we had like a tuberculosis patient, which is rare, or like maybe like a like a pretty bad trauma where there's gonna be a lot of blood and stuff. Um, which again, they're, they're rare. You don't get that like all the time. Um, so we don't gown up all the time, but now it's like you're gowning up on every call. So gowns are definitely in short supply um, in the hospital more so than uh, on the ambulance. But you're, you're going into your shift. And you're like, okay, we got four gowns on the ambulance. Like we can only run two calls because we both have to gown up and then we got to come back and get more gowns and hopefully there's enough. So oh you're definitely thinking about it and you're trying to be a little bit a little bit more proactive about like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this and how are we going to protect ourselves? Right. Are you seeing an increase um, in general, like in patients who are calling for an ambulance? So that, that's another thing that if people could, could take this one pointer. Um, this was before COVID too. I would say there's not necessarily more people calling ambulances but there are still people calling ambulances that don't need ambulances. You would be amazed at what things people call an ambulance for. And that is a huge, huge strain on emergency medical services when we're going through a crisis like this. You don't wanna be going on these calls when there could be someone that really needs an emergency. So pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, call an ambulance when it's an emergency and you really need help. That is the most, that's the best thing you can do for emergency services is use us for what we're supposed to for emergencies, not rides to the hospital, not because, you know, your finger hurts or, you know, you forgot to do, to pick up band-aids or whatever crazy reasons that we might hear, you know, make sure that you're using emergency services for what they are. That will help tremendously. What are, what are some examples of people um, like you would consider not an emergency that they're calling you for? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I could tell you a lot of them, but um, to, to kind of keep it relevant, um, just this last week, 
we went on a patient and we have no idea if this was a COVID patient or not. Um, I don't know if testing was ever done on this patient, um, but we went on this elderly woman. She was healthy like a week ago um, and we got there and she had like three temperature. She was coughing. Um, her blood pressure was like 50 over 30, which is really, really bad. Um, uh, her SpO2, the amount of like oxygen that she was kind of getting into her into her cells was at like 75, supposed to be above 90. This lady was really sick. And um, we had to take full precautions on her. We took her into the hospital. Um, from what we know, she did really, she really deteriorated in the hospital. And mm. it was, you know, a sad, emotional scene. Her husband was crying. This is the last time he's ever gonna see his wife. You know, a true emergency. This patient was sick, need to go to the hospital. We did that, my partner and I were talking, like, man, that was, that was crazy. That was one of the sicker patients we've ever seen. And right after that, we had to go on a lady who was talking about having an asthma attack. But, you know, we get there and she's like, hold on, I need to go to the bathroom. Hold on, I need to fill up my water bottle. Hold on, I need to get this. But she says she's having an asthma attack. And we have to treat it like it's an asthma attack because we can't say, hey, you're faking it or something right. like that. We treat it one way. Right, but right. that was like really stressful three hours for us. We had this super intense call, you know, with high emotions and a super sick patient. And I don't know the outcome of that patient, but it was not looking like that patient might, may survive. And then we follow it up with this, with the person in the middle of this pandemic, thinking they have asthma, saying, oh, I have these lung sounds. Your lung sounds are clear. Everything is fine. Your vitals are perfect and still needing to go to the hospital and still taking the time to go to the bathroom and filling up their water bottle. That kind of stuff happens all the time. And when it, yeah, and when it happens in the middle of this, it's really, really frustrating. And that was hard on my partner and I, for sure, having to kind of go through that situation. Right. Not only are you putting yourself out there and exposing yourself to patients who actually do, you know, multitude of health concerns, but I, I can't even fathom calling an ambulance. I mean, I actually, I have asthma, so I know what an asthma, unfortunately, I know what an asthma attack is. And you cannot just go to the bathroom and refill your water bottle. Yeah. I mean, stand up and walk to the gurney. You you cannot. And then the second thing that comes to mind, and again, I don't know this individual, and this is all speculation, but um, potentially like an anxiety attack. I know a lot of people are anxious Mm -hmm. right now, right? Because it's like all this hype of coronavirus and people are freaking out. And so I myself have anxiety, so I'm very much aware what a panic attack is. And if you have a panic attack, that you still in that state, it's not easy to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. Like you are hyperventilating. You are, you know, really stressed out. Have you, have you actually experienced people calling with like you, you would believe an anxiety attack? Is that more common? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and that's, that's understandable. Like it can be very scary for someone. And you know, as you know, it's can be scary to have an anxiety attack. And especially if it's the first time it's ever happened, you don't know what's happening. You might be thinking I'm having a heart attack or I'm having, I've never had asthma before. Maybe I'm having asthma. I can't breathe. I can't. And you get really nervous. And a lot of times people, they, their hands start cramping up, you know, because they're not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. I've had that. And every, yeah. And, and it's a scary that. feeling. It's like, am I having a stroke? Am I having a heart attack? Am I, you know, whatever's happening. So like, we understand that and we get trained in that. 
And you know, we have drugs even for that. If someone is having a true anxiety attack and we have to do something about it, like we can treat that. That's, that's not something that we're frustrated to go. Oh no, help, I, I, I didn't think but, that. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, definitely people call 911 for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when it's, when it's something that's not, um, not that. And, and I mean, I could, I could tell you tons and tons of stories, you know, people that just, their knee hurts. And that's it. It's just like, just, just their knee hurts. And it's like, they have chronic, like knee pain, and they've always had knee pain, and their knees hurting a little bit more today. Like, that's not a reason to be in an ambulance. you know. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, so yes, the biggest thing you can do to help out emergency service workers is when it's a when it's an emergency, we love to help like and in a not in a weird way, but it's it that's fun for us to like go and help on a real emergency and see like okay this is this is intense, this is happening, what can we do? We're going to be that calm you know person and take care of you mm-hmm. but when it's not, it can be really frustrating yeah, absolutely, and I hope for anyone who's watching this, they take that and they spread that message around that. Those that are in the ambulances, you know, their plate is absolutely full at the moment. And if there's any way, if, if you're second guessing, if it's an emergency, I mean, call your healthcare provider and, and see, but, and you would, I would imagine just gate, just common sense, right? Just use common sense to gauge. That's always the default. Um, By no means I'm giving any medical um, no. suggestions. If you are, feel sick, call your healthcare provider. If you feel like you have an emergency, call 911, absolutely. But I'm just, for those that, you know, their knee hurts, maybe not call a paramedic in an ambulance yeah. because there are people who are severely ill at the moment with COVID and amongst many other things that their time could be used much more wisely to treat those people that are much Definitely. more serious conditions. Um, I, I can't even imagine the stress levels that you, you and your, your team are going through at the moment, just in general, doing this, yeah. right? Like being in an ambulance. Yeah. Um, I know every time I hear the sirens, I always pull over and think, oh gosh, like I, yeah. you know, I hope everything goes okay. But even now more so because it's, it's your, you are more exposed and you're more vulnerable to and susceptible to whatever it is um, individuals are carrying. So I know, you know, you're a husband and, and a dad, and I was really fortunate to talk to your wife, Becca, mm-hmm. a bit earlier, um, who's an amazing nurse. And mm-hmm. she, she told me that um, you kind of have like a new protocol set in terms of going from work to home. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear your take on it in terms of knowing what you're going into for your job um like and and just walk me through a day in the life of like okay i'm getting up and i'm saying bye to the kids and i'm i'm going off like do you do you arm yourself up do you do you say a prayer like what is what is your routine at this point yeah so um so my schedule um so since i'm not in school right now it's a little bit that it's a little bit smoother but yeah so my schedule i work from 2 p.m to 2 a.m um so it's 12 hour shifts I work uh, three days on, and then four days off, and then four days on, three days off. Um, and, you know, wake up, you know, give myself some time to hang out with the kids and stuff on work days. Um, but yeah, then, you know, I'm at work, uh, we head in. It, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure that everything is ready on the ambulance. We have a 
crew there that stocks everything. So we should be stocked. Sometimes, you know, if they're really busy, we're not able to, we have to take care of that ourselves. I'll make sure everything's clean, everything's good to go, everything's running. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll tone on, we'll, they'll send up tones that go directly to our ambulance. So we know if it's an emergency for us to respond to as opposed to the other ambulances in the area. Okay. And then we'll go, we'll go to wherever we're posted at that time. Um, the way that it works in, in our county um, is we kind of have like rotating posts. Like you don't always go back to the same spot. So it's not like you're always going back to headquarters and then get a call and you go back to headquarters. We kind of have these different spots around um, our county. And um, so you get a call, you know, you go there, you hang out and you, you wait for a call. And then when you get a call, uh, you drive, you know, you drive to the scene. It depends on the, the nature of the call. So um, we have code one and code three driving. Um, and I think this is good just for people to know, to kind of understand what an ambulance is doing when it's driving. Well, uh, code one driving is just the way you and I drive to work, you know, just normal in our cars. Code three driving is lights and sirens. Um, that definitely means try to get out of the way, try to pull over to the right. We're always trying to pass you on the left. Even if that means going into the oncoming traffic, we're gonna always try to pass you on the left. Um, so it is always important to try to pull over to the right, unless it's absolutely necessary to pull over to the left. Um, so for driving code three, that means you know we might be driving a little bit faster. We're gonna be breaking some rules as far as driving on the wrong side of the road when necessary. Um, we're always gonna stop at red lights, but we're gonna drive through that red light once it's clear. Um, so just ways to, you know, expect what, a, what an ambulance is doing. Mm -hmm. um, when we get, get on scene, you know, we're going to treat that patient. And then usually when we're, when we're transporting back to the, the hospital, very rarely when you see an ambulance with its lights and sirens on, is there a patient in the back? That's usually just to get there. Because we are like a mobile emergency department, you know, with the level of care that a paramedic can provide now it's very, very similar to being in the emergency department. Like we can't do surgery and that kind of stuff that a doctor can do, but we can do all of the stuff they're gonna do to stabilize you in the emergency department. Um, so very rarely you're gonna see an ambulance driving with lights and sirens and have a patient in the back. Usually we're driving just normal on the way back to the hospital. It's super dangerous for us. Um, a lot of people think it'd be really fun to drive, you know, super fast and lights and sirens. It's fun for like the first week and then you're like, this isn't really that fun, like really dangerous, you know, because yeah. people don't pay attention. People try to keep up with you because you're an ambulance. People don't get out of the way, like crazy, crazy stuff happens. So um, it's really, really important to just, when we have the lights and sirens on, we're trying to get to somebody. That's the most important thing that people should know. It's not that we have someone, we're trying to get somewhere to get to someone that probably really needs care immediately. And we only do that for like, you know, serious type calls. Um, but yeah, so we do that, we take them to the hospital, and then it's our responsibility to clean the ambulance. And with like a COVID patient or a possible COVID patient, it takes a long time to clean the ambulance. And you know, we have to really not sterilize, we don't have that ability, but you know, sanitize as much as possible, everything in the ambulance. Um, you know, it might take us 20 minutes to clean the ambulance after a call. And then once we're ready, and we have enough supplies, we go back to another post and we wait for another call. When it gets busy, like last week, there was a day, like it was crazy. There were so many respiratory patients. A lot of them were in um, uh, like senior care facility type places. Mm. And it was, you know, we were just thinking like, oh my God, or, is this a COVID patient? Is this a COVID? Like, you know, we don't know. And you were getting calls before you were done cleaning. It was like, hey, there's mm. a call coming. You know, it's just like, you're going and going and going. 
and, uh, and yeah, so that's what we do. And then at the end of the shift, we come back, uh, you know, we park our ambulance, take off all of our, our clothes. What I like to do is try to take off all my clothes and not come into the house. At least I like to try to take my stuff off while I'm at work, like put it in a bag. And then when I come home, um, we would leave all of our things right in the garage. And we wash our uniforms every day. Becca and I, um, my wife, she wears scrubs and I wear, you know, like a uniform that we have to wear. Mm -hmm. and take a shower and you know and and that's it and we try to keep ourselves healthy and you know we, you, there's no such thing as really in a social distancing when we're working you know you can't stay six feet away from a patient right. um, that's for me too that's not just the paramedic you know because um, I'm you know as an EMT you're hooking up you know blood pressure cuffs you're hooking up the ECG monitor you're taking the patient's you know blood sugar you're you're putting, you're, you're doing all of the stuff and you're, you're helping the paramedic do everything. So you're right there. And um, the best thing that we can do is, you know, wear a mask, wear PPE, um, because there's no way, you know, that you can stay far away from the patient. It's just kind of impossible. Right. And, and it's not just like, oh, stay away from the people at the grocery store. It's stay away from this really sick old person who has 104 degree, you know, temperature. So you really have to like be really, really careful with it. So we're really mindful of it. Um, you kind of just have to take it one call at a time. I think, uh, I think one thing that I, that I do pretty well is not in like a bad or a disrespectful way. Like I kind of forget about calls right away. Like it's hard for me to remember, you know, like, it's like oh yeah, that was what we did. You know, mm. some people get really hung up on stuff and they're like, oh man, what happened with that? Or, or I wonder if this person lived or not. And, and it's not that you don't care because like you really care in the moment and you're there and you're doing everything to help the person. but you kind of have to just forget about it. And, you know, sometimes there's some interesting stories and, and some, some crazy things that happen that you definitely remember. And there's some really emotional, um, hard things that you remember and, uh, you know, that are hard, things that you wouldn't want to be a part of that you have to be a part of sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always important to, you know, talk about that kind of stuff. But, but that's it. And then you go to bed and you do it all, all again the next day. <laughs> I mean, that's what a, what a heavy, what a heavy job to take on in general. And I'm in now specifically even more so. Um, I, I mean, I, I like you, you know, in, as a person already, and I like you even more for what you do because that just speaks to the nature of who you are in terms of being caring and generous. Um, and I, I kind of just feel like I need to reiterate for how much you put yourself out there and, and you literally put you in a position um, that many would, would not do. Um, I can't emphasize this enough. And I spoke to your lovely wife, Becca, about this too, is that what is some, you know, what is something like I myself, a healthy young person can do? And that's this practice, the social distancing, right? Is to try mm -hmm. to eliminate um, any potential for, for me being exposed or exposing anyone else to any, any, anything, COVID um, or any type of ailment that would make your job harder and make all healthcare professionals job harder because you're already dealing with so much. And the, the least I could do is stay at home and chill out, yeah. right? So I, I just feel like that, I just want to say that because I, you really are putting yourself out on the line um, every time you go out there and help people. And so 
I'm sure people are wondering, well, what, what can I do? Well, stay home. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. stay home. And yeah. that way, less people um, you need to treat, right? Definitely. Um, definitely. And so stay, stay home and, and use 911 for what it was meant for, which is, you know, emergencies. And there's lots of emergencies. I'm not, and if you feel like you're having an emergency, like you said, call 911. But just, just don't think about it as a ride to the hospital because you don't get seen any faster if you come by an ambulance. We'll still put you out in the waiting room if they think you, you can wait. You know, that, that's not our call. We'll take you there. And if they're like, no, this can wait. You're going to the waiting room. It doesn't matter if you come by ambulance or not. I think some people think that. So I, so I assumed that. That's good to yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, so so if if you're using it just for a ride to the ambulance, a ride to the hospital, or to get seen quicker, it doesn't work. It it it's and it has nothing to do on our part. The hospital's gonna say this is this kind of patient. They can wait. Um, and and with with what's going on now they are sending people home right away. Like if you don't have anything wrong with you and it's not life threatening, they're, they're, they're going to treat you. It's part of the law, but like, they're not, you're not going to be there for very long. And they're, they're not really putting up with a lot of that stuff because they have so many sick patients mm -hmm. that these minor things, you're going to be in and out real quick. Um, and, or if it's super busy, you're going to be sitting there for a super long time and not, not be seen. So exactly what you said you know what you can do at home is practice good hand washing you know keep yourself away from other from other people large groups of other people too and then use 911 for what it was meant for which is you know true emergencies and if you feel like you're having an emergency call 911 but if you're using it for a ride to the hospital do not do that please yeah yeah and i think and i think too an important note is individuals should be doing this not not just to help the healthcare workers, but to help everyone in general that you could potentially, you know, get sick from, which nobody wants to be sick, or you could, you could be sick and not even know it and expose someone else. So to Absolutely. do this out of kindness and thoughtfulness towards other human beings really should be the kind of the position, not out of fear. Oh my gosh, I go outside, you know, I might get infected. You are literally going out and being in close proximity and you're still doing it and you're taking the proper precautions and you're, you know, thankfully healthy and, and, and able to do your job. But I think it's just important to note it is a serious thing that's happening. I know not everyone is taking it seriously. Um, and I wish that they would. It just mm -hmm. simply out of kindness towards other human beings who are being affected more so yeah. by this. Um, Definitely. And I want to end on a positive note because we just touched on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I, I did ask your lovely wife, Becca, this um, in my previous podcast, but I want to ask you as a dad. So, you know, when you're not working and you're able to stay home with the kids now that you are kind of on, well, everyone is right. Everyone's working from home if they can or staying at home. What are, is there anything positive of, of everything happening, anything positive happening, whether it be at, at work, people being more courteous to you, or um, at home, just spending more time with the kids. Is there anything positive um, all of this sure. has put to light? So, yeah, I think two things. Like, one is, you know, paramedics and firefighters, they're kind of universally loved. So it's kind yeah. of nice, you know, like with police <laughs> and stuff, there can be some issues there, you know, good and bad. Uh, but Paramedics and firefighters are usually kind of universally incredibly nice. It's always nice when people like thank you for doing your job and all that. It's like, okay. 
Um, but you know, from this, a couple of things. One, I think some people have taken it a little too far. It is good to see people spending time together doing things with their family, not you know, going on these large groups, doing things with their family. We went for like a nine mile hike the other day with the kids, you know, and you know, out where there was no one else around. Um, and it was just us and it was kind of cool to just be able to spend time and our focus was on that as opposed to like, all right, what are we going to do today? Are we going to go to a movie? Are we going to go to the whatever family fun center or something like that? It was more of like, let's just spend time together doing something. And I'm not saying everyone go outside because that's an issue too. A lot of people have been going to beaches and, you know, stuff like that, which they shouldn't be doing. Um, but, um, as long as you're not in these big groups, spending time together with like your immediate family, talking more. Um, it's definitely been, I think, I don't want to say positive because it's such a negative, you know, thing that's happening, but that, that's been a positive thing for us that we have spent more time together and, uh, you know, got to work on, on some things that the kids are going to learn, you know, while they're, they're out of school at least and through April here. Um, so, uh, we're gonna have to kind of homeschool a little bit and that's been kind of fun, like thinking about some stuff for them to learn. Cause they're, they're at pretty, uh, pretty good ages to like actually start learning stuff other than just, you know, two plus two is four, the cow goes moo and sure, that kind of sure. stuff. But you know, they're, they're actually starting to learn stuff. So it's, it's kind of cool getting to do that and, and spend time doing that. Yeah. That's, I love to hear that more family time. I think that's something. Yeah. Um, those of us that are lucky enough, you know, to have a family or a loved one that they currently reside with is just to really appreciate this time. And I definitely think that's an awesome, positive thing that's come out of all of this. And you're lucky you have great kids and a great wife. Yeah. So <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. of course you want to hang out with them. <laughs> yes. You're a good person to hang out with too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I, I really appreciate your time because I know you're busy and I really appreciate you kind of shedding light on what you do and, and what you're experiencing at the moment. Um, and I know, um, I know what you do is important and I appreciate what you do and I know it's just part of your job, but I think it's awesome. And thank you for shedding light and educating everyone. And hopefully not, you're going to get a little less um, non-emergency calls, right? Yes, um, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, thanks again and take care. Yes, Stay healthy. And I can't wait to see you um, non-virtually and in person. <laughs> me too. Me too. Thank you for having me. I was glad to talk about some stuff. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thank bye. You. Bye. See ya. Thanks.